Okay, we are back to podcast, and I hope everyone's had a good day and uh, enjoyed the snow and the sleet, freezing rain, and everything else we got uh, in this. Um, and uh, it is a rare occasion where I feel like we need to <clears throat> change services around. We didn't really cancel necessarily in this regard because we have live stream uh, capabilities. But it's a rare occasion, uh, but it was almost, uh, no no pun intended, it was almost a perfect storm when everything hit, and um, I just, I trust everyone is well this afternoon and had a good day, and and you've been safe, and um, I, I enjoyed our lesson on, on uh, the glorified body today, and I am looking forward to that. And I, I didn't used to think about it a lot when I was young, but the older I get and then the sickness that's been going around and the loved ones that are in heaven, just so much, uh, so much. I thank God for the hope of that glorified body and uh, look forward to that day. Um, we're going to 1 Corinthians 5 today, 1 Corinthians 5, and we're getting into some of what the subject of 1 Corinthians is all about. It's a wide ranging of issues that we deal with in this book. Like I said, part of it is Paul uh, defending his apostleship and so much else going on here. I read today um, from 1 Corinthians 15 where he's actually trying to defend the resurrection because there was some Sadducees that had come in and or those of Sadducees' belief come in and taught that there had been no resurrection. And uh, But in chapter 5, we get into church discipline. Um, excuse me, we get into uh, how God would use Satan. Um, we get into eternal security. We get into many issues. Uh, we get into... Um, the, the issue of kind of suing a little bit. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 5. And what the context here is, there is a a man and a woman married, and he, he it's obviously his second, maybe later, maybe third or fourth. We don't know how many marriages he's had. But he has a, a wife and he has a son. And obviously the son's older. We don't know how old. But at any rate, there is, there, there's an affair. There's an illicit affair between the stepmom and, uh, and the son. And so it is a, it's a commonly reported issue. Okay, that means that it's out. It's known. It, it is widely known. Uh, it known to the degree that it's commonly reported. So um, that would mean a good amount of people know about it. Uh, it's reported often. It's reported common. So we see that. So this is a matter that is public. It's not an issue that remains in private or else it could be dealt with privately, to be quite frank with you. Um, it's, it's often been stated you deal with the matter in discipline uh, to the degree of how public it was in the first place. And 
that's what happens here. So Paul starts out verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And so that means among in, in the church. And this this fornication is, is uh, sexual uh, impropriety of an affair, of adultery. And um, is fornication among you. And such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So right there we see uh, this doesn't say the, 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 the young man's mother. It says the father's wife. So this is a step situation. Okay. So Paul said, look, man, we, it is, it, this ain't even known among people that, that you're doing this or that, or, or that, that this would happen typically. Verse 2, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. So the puffed up would be full of pride. They are prideful people to the degree that they're not going to, they up until this point have not exercised any kind of uh, church discipline. They have allowed um, both parties to remain among them, to remain in the church, probably to be active in the church. So he says you're full of pride if you're not addressing this. For verily, for I verily is absent in body, but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. And so Paul said, look, I've made a judgment on this and I'm going to tell you how to deal with it. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay, mouthfuls here. So, I've had situations uh, similar to this. Um, thankfully, they were able to be dealt with as privately and within um, within the scope of um, not not many knowing, not many knew about it, but it did get brought to me. So I addressed it in the manner in which it did. Like I said, it wasn't commonly reported. It wasn't an issue that was widely known. So I exercised the discipline in that regard. And so basically there was a, you know, we, we me and uh, two witnesses addressed this, this person and dealt with it in, in the correct manner. The person was extremely repentant. And because this person was repentant, we were able to deal with it in that regard and move forward um, in a period of, it's a little bit of period of discipline, um, but then we're able to just move forward and, and go for God. Should the person not be repentant and discipline, and once discipline is exercised or attempted to be exercised, if the person is not disciplined, the Bible says in verse number five, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, there's a mouthful. Here's what I mean. 
first of all, uh, this is when the Christians sin, God uses Satan to punish him. Okay, that's that's what that's teaching. Uh, the flesh does not refer to the body, but to the self nature which must be destroyed. Okay, that must be put behind the believer. Uh, this may be done by the believer allowing the Holy Spirit to control him, but but it's refused. God can and may allow Satan to have his way with this person, this Christian, until the self-life is, is dead. Okay? So, what that is teaching right there is that this person's uh, life or this person's self-life, their, their flesh, be delivered to Satan that the spirit may be saved. Now, here, here's something interesting. This is a saved person. Saved people can commit these types of sins. You say, what kind of, what kind of sin can a saved person can commit? They can commit any type of sin that any Christian committed in this Bible. You know, I, I know uh, suicide was brought up to me recently. And as, as if, you know, you have to ask for forgiveness before you pull the trigger... Well, you can't you can't be forgiven once the trigger's pulled and 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 the bullets in your head. If that's what is required, it's over. You can't ask for forgiveness. So the only way, the only hope we have, is in the reality that in Christ Jesus. See, people don't understand salvation. They paint salvation in things of what we do or we don't do. Do we do good now where we used to do bad? Do we do bad things? And what happens if I sin because I'm doing something bad? Will I go to hell? So that's not, that's not salvation. That's not Christianity. That's not Bible salvation. Bible salvation is by grace through faith being in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ being in us. Okay, that would mean that every sin that would ever be committed by us is already forgiven. The past sins, the current sin, and the future sin, even the sin of suicide, it's been forgiven. We are in Christ Jesus. It's There's an element of Sean Brigman that has absolutely never sinned, never can sin, and never will sin. That is the element of Sean Brigman that's inside Jesus Christ. Now, my flesh may sin, and my flesh will sin, but it says here the Spirit is saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. The Spirit is not sinning. The soul is not sinning because we are in Jesus Christ. It is the flesh that is sinning. And because this person has willfully sinned in their flesh, that does not mean, and this is a this is a horrible sin. This is a sin that this person is in an illicit affair, an adulterous affair with his father's wife, and he's not going to hell over it. Why? Because he's saved to something a saved person's doing. 
It says it right there. If anybody needs teaching on eternal security, you can't get any more eternal secure than somebody having an adulterous affair with their father's wife. And it says plainly right there, turn this, this flesh over to Satan that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That tells you our soul is not sinning after we're one of his. Our spirit is not sinning after we're one of his. It's the flesh that's sinning, and God will bring about destruction of that should we not repent. So, great verse on eternal security there. You didn't know we would be in eternal security. The problem is people have such a great misunderstanding of what being saved is. And it's because of Catholic influence and Church of God influence and free will influence and you know primitive influence. Where primitives not so much. They do believe in eternal security. It's more these other influences that base your salvation on some kind of work, and therefore you lose it on some kind of work. That's not salvation, folks. By grace are you saved through faith. Is the gift of God. So verse six, your glorying is not good. I know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You, in other words, you have to discipline this this person within the church because a little leaven, according to the Bible, leaveneth the whole lump. Therefore, purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened breads of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. So he's already told them once, you've got to get rid of this guy. This guy is committing adultery. You've got to get him out if he is unwilling to repent. In the old days, we called this churching people, um, voting people out removing people. That's a far cry from today's church. Today's church, they just want anybody. They don't care. They want anybody in there. I, I don't... Do you see me begging anybody to come to church? No, I don't mind beg them to get to go to Jesus. But you don't, you don't bring in people like this into the church and just completely welcome them. You want them there to get saved. and and But once they're saved and they're a child of God and they're, they're a member on the role of a church, should should they fall into something in this regard, this heinous, this sinful, then, then you've got no choice but to discipline that individual. If And again, it has to be done so in the manner in which it is commonly reported. If it was commonly reported that this was known, that's the manner in which it has to be done. So, not to company with fornicators yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. So not just fornicators, because that's an easy one to pick on. That's an easy one to pick on. And I've known people, I've known churches, they'll jump all over the fornicator or the adulterer, they'll jump all over the affair, which they should. But then it goes on and it says, or with covetous or extortioners, they'll let some liar or thief or, or some unscrupulous business person operating the whole position in the church. Now, you want to kick the adulterer out or the adulteress out, but you, you won't deal with the, the, the business person that's, that's a thief inside the church because they give good. 
wicked. Or with the idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, railer, somebody that's got a terrible temper, and they go off the rails, and they raise cane and fuss and fight all the time. you got to deal with them in the same manner. A railer or a drunkard, someone that is, is a known drunkard, Drunk, we know what it means to be drunk. It means to have excess alcohol, excess consumption of alcohol, to be drunk. To be, it has to be dealt with. Or an extortioner, a thief, with such an one know not to eat. That's speaking of the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. And so the reference is leaven in the lump. So you got a church and... and the idea is, is it's, it's bread that's being worked up and being made. But you got a little leaven in there, so you got to get the leaven out so you can have a, a, a bread, something fit to eat. Paul's making that reference when it comes to the church. He says, you got, and not just an adulterer, but if you've got someone covetousness, covetous, you've got a railer, somebody just mad off the hinges and off the rails, all the time about everything. You've got somebody that's cut, that's an extortioner. You deal with them in the same manner. You deal with the, the crooked businessman in the church just like you would an adulterer. That's what that Bible says right there. It says, do not eat with them. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. Okay? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among you yourselves that wicked person. So it says to remove them from the assembly should they not repent. Now, the first objective in discipline is always reconciliation. Repentance and reconciliation, always. It's not removal. Removal is the last ditch, last resource effort. It's always attempting repentance and reconciliation. Now, I think we got time to get to verse number 8 in second in first Corinthians 6. And, and this has to be talked also. Dare any one of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do not ye know that the saints shall judge the world and if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. Somebody that would be would not show favoritism, somebody that would be wise, but brother go to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one against another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, we do wrong and defraud that your brethren. All right, so more mess in Corinth. They're suing each other. You know, I've heard of that. 
Churches sue each other over land. Churches sue each other over buildings. Churches sue each other over property. Churches sue each other over salary. Churches say, yeah, yeah, oh my goodness. That is the sickest, vilest acts known to mankind. Right there, you can't get any more plain. That's as plain as God is love. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8 is as plain as John 3, 16. That churches are not to go to law against each other. To brothers in a church... If you've got a matter, or you've got a brother in, ch- in the church and he is stolen from you or he's defrauded you, you are to take it to the church, lay the, 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 all of the evidence out before the church and let the church decide on that matter and not take it to a, publicly, a public court of law. The Bible says, Paul says, I speak to your shame. Now, there was a day in America where the church held this practice. The church was highly esteemed, highly respected, but you couldn't get that done in today's church by no, because you got cousins and you got uncles and you got brothers or physical brothers and you got, you got in-laws. And they can, that most of the time, people cannot differentiate between those fleshly relationships and right and wrong. They just can't. I've seen it too many times through the years, and that's why people end up taking things to court to let an ungodly judge in an ungodly court system, in an ungodly world, discipline what should have been able to have been done in in the local assembly. But it's typically can't because no one's impartial anymore. Everybody's going to side with their family. Everybody's going to side with their friend. Everybody's going to side with their buddy. But there was a time when the church had that much strength, power, authority, and respect, but no longer, no longer. And but we should, we should. So what's going on in Corinth? Corinth is a mess. But the thing is, these people are saved. Paul's saying it. He said, "You're saved. Why are Why are you behaving like this?" So what that speaks to me is that saved people can make some pretty bad messes sometimes. And the Bible teaches us how to correct these messes and to deal with these messes and to fix these messes. And the goal is always repentance and reconciliation. And the last measure should be removal. But every step and every attempt should be made up until that time to at, at repentance and reconciliation. And so Corinth is, is a situation where Paul is really, really having to deal with a lot of issues. And he does so with grace, and he does so with mercy. And by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, it's got a completely different tone about it. It's more of a personal note, and there's not the rebuke there, which tells me that they do listen to Paul's epistle, and they learn these things, and they get them right. And that's the grace of God. And so I'm I'm thankful for that, that God gives us opportunities to get things right and to move forward and to do that which is right. And so the the credibility that the church has is is so strong in, in this regard. So here we see Paul dealing with some pretty 
weighty issues, the issue of adultery and the issue of, of suing within the church. And he, he teaches us how to deal with matters, not just those things, but covetousness and idolatry and, and these other things that can be brought before us. And so we're moving right along through 1 Corinthians, and I hope you've enjoyed it. We've actually been able to cover chapter 5 and part of chapter number 6. So the next time, we're going to get in chapter 6 and chapter number 7. Chapter We're going to finish chapter 6. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Now... Let me say this concerning Wednesday night. Let's let's right now. I'm going to kind of keep it up in the air. See how the week unfolds. Um, to be quite honest, it may be best just in light of sickness and light of weather, everything that's went on. It may actually be best to go through one more week of podcast on Wednesday and then then try to hit the ground running that following week. Um, hopefully, things have leveled out by then. Um, because Lord willing, we'll be back in person services on Sunday morning, next Sunday morning. And if that's the case, then I'll, I'll make the announcement from their Bible study that coming Wednesday night. So winter months, winter months can be tough, uh, on church and tough and being faithful to church. Again, I hope you've all stayed safe and uh, the Lord's watched after you. You have a great day in Jesus and a great evening. And uh, you will be hearing from me this week in regards to either in-person Bible study or podcast on Wednesday. But either way, whatever we do, Lord willing, unless the next snowstorm hits, we will be back in-person services on this coming Sunday, a week from today. Hope you all have a great evening. I love each of you. Good night and God bless.